So here we are in the message. So we had the, the first message and September 5th was on Abide. Last week we had Join. Again, please check that message out if you haven't seen it. And then today I would like to talk about following. All right, so today's message is follow. Uh, this morning we're going to look forward to the fall series, which starts next Sunday. And, uh, and uh, more importantly, it will be the person who's doing the fall series, James Lund. And his wife and children have been among us for just a little less than a year now, 10 months. And uh, isn't that amazing? 10 months already. And, uh, and James is here to succeed me as the next head pastor of Northview in a year and a half. And so that's what we're moving towards. Uh, but we're already in the process of transition. And so this is a very important moment season for us as a church. So let's pray. You can see them up on the screen there. Let's pray and then we'll go into it this morning. Father in heaven. Thank you for the things you have put in place that we will rehearse this morning that set us up well as a church for you. And we seek you this morning that it wouldn't just be my voice, but your voice, talking, encouraging, exhorting us, Lord, to be a team and to, and to do this together. We seek your heart for that, Lord. We know how frail we are. We know how uh, divisive we can be sometimes. Lord, we know how we can uh, be going in different directions of what you want. But we seek you this morning that you would give us that unity that only comes from you. And we seek that with all our hearts and ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Well, as, as we start this morning, uh, I know many of us know the backstory of this morning. Uh, but for those who are new, some of us are newer. Uh, online, you may be watching and saying, hey, is this a church I want to belong to? Uh, I want to go back over the backstory. And just refresh our memories as to how we arrived at this moment and how we believe the Lord had his hand in bringing this about. So a few, a few years ago, it dawned on me that I'm getting older. All right? And people say, Mitch, you don't look old and you certainly don't act old, but the truth is I am old. All right? And so it, it dawned on me that I need to start thinking about what would be a wise way to set Northview up for a good transition. One that had the favor, blessing, and approval of the elder board, the staff, the body, and the Lord. Not necessarily in that order. All right? So here's a picture of James and his family. Uh, in, in case you're new this morning, that's who we're talking about. James and Sarah, and uh, JJ, and Hudson, and Caleb. All right? And uh, he's the guy who's probably greeted you in the lobby or has called you on the phone and talked to you. Uh, he's been doing that hard over the last year here. James had been on my radar screen for quite a while as someone who, if the Lord approved, would be worthy of passing the baton off to this ministry. And uh, I knew James is a high school student, okay? So uh, James grew up, if you just take 164th and go straight west, if you go over I-5 and Ashway is right there and you take a right and they made that whole new development, he just lived right behind that new development, all right? That's where he grew up. And he grew up right across the street from John and Rita Burkholder. John and Rita Burkholder are beloved friends that run the Cascade Prison Ministry up in Monroe. And, uh, and so uh, they lived across the street. James uh, babysat John and Rita's sons. And uh, Pam and I have the honor of being their, grand, their godparents. So uh, you know, there was a, a relational tie there. So I, I knew of James, but I didn't really know him. Uh, our past connected again about 10 years later. Uh, John Burkholder called me up and we were having lunch together and he said, hey, can you help my buddy out? 
And I said, well, who's your buddy? Well, remember James? He used to babysit for my boys. And he's running around the world with YWAM on like three to $500 a month, starving to death. And he can't get anybody to support him. Would you, would you be willing to have a conversation with him? You're laughing because it's true. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and he's in South Africa and he's about to get married. And, you know, would you just have lunch and talk to him? I said, sure, I'd be glad to. Well, it just so happens James was in town. So I called him up and said, hey, John says we have to get together. And if John says we have to get together, we have to get together. And so James and I had lunch together and we were, we were meeting and I, great fun. But I could just sense and smell the kingdom of God in this guy. Um, God's hand of favor was all over his life. So here's what I said at the end of me. At the end of me, I said, okay, so you're now ours. We adopt you. All right. Northview's your tribe. Northview's your posse. Northview's your family. We take you in, you're ours. And, uh, and, and we're going to back you and support you. And that was in the spring of 2008. And we were still meeting at Archbishop Murphy. So some of you would go back and remember that. We hadn't even moved into this space yet. We moved into this space in June. So that's how far back it goes. But from there, the relationship grew and we began to support James. And we upped that when he married Sarah. Okay, very wise move on his part, by the way. Here's an early picture. Any of you remember this? That's when we first started supporting them as a church back in Archbishop Murphy. Okay? That's a pretty cool picture. And, and they, they became ours. Okay? We've supported them. We've prayed for them. Uh, they came back. They spoke at Northview several times. Many of you remember them sharing and, and just talked about the impact that that had on you uh, when they did that. On sabbatical, Pam and I uh, had the great privilege because of your love and great support for us to actually go to South Africa and actually Musenberg, which is just outside South Africa. And we got to visit them. We got to see their ministry there and got to walk around and meet people and see what they were doing. It was an absolutely fantastic trip. And um, the conversation had arisen several times of, you know, if the Lord were to move them back to the States... Uh, would there be a possibility of serving together? And I said, oh, I'd love to do that. But I said, James, we've got a problem. We've got a building loan that we have to pay off first, and, and that's really kind of um, hanging us. We can't do much until that's out of the way. And I said, I didn't think it was possible, but I, I certainly would pray about it. We certainly think about it. Uh, James called in May of June of 2019 to let me know that they might be coming back, which in fact then turned into they were coming back uh, due to visa issues and the health of his father, Jim. And uh, if you don't know, Jim has pancreatic cancer. And by the way, we could pray for him. They just found out he's got a blocked kidney stone on top of that. So it, as a church, if we could lift him up in prayer, uh, they would really appreciate it as a family. So let's do that. But my exact words to James on the phone were, dude, you're coming back a year too early. I can't do anything. We've, I told you, we've got this loan thing that was, that was in the way. And, uh, and they had to get out of South Africa in a plot line worthy of a movie. They spent 38 hours in the Cape Town airport with their three boys and 10 bags of luggage. All right? And literally caught the last flight out of the country at midnight before the whole thing shut down for COVID. So... They left their house, they left their cars, they left most of their possessions behind them as the world went into COVID lockdown. So it was quite a, quite a move. Uh, God was working in them, but at the same time, God was working in us as a church family. 
In January of 2019, we brought the idea before us of paying off the building loan. And that's a story in and of itself uh, because I brought it up four years earlier and it just went kathunk and nobody liked the idea. Not even Pam liked the idea. It was not going anywhere. <laughs> and I brought it back up at an elder board meeting in the, in the fall of 2018. We were at Diana Barhanovich's cabin and I brought up that you would have thought I was walking on water. This is fabulous. This is a great idea. Wow, Steve, this is great. And I, I looked at him. I said, these are the board, right? They're my buddies. You idiots. You hated that idea three years ago. What is wrong with you? Well, yeah, it sounds really good right now, <laughs> right? So, so I said, well, what do you think if we brought it to the church? Well, we brought it to the church at the annual meeting, and everybody went, that is a great idea. And like, wow, and God lit a fire to it. It was really kind of interesting to watch and be a part of a part of the whole thing and uh so uh here is the what we did in 2000 do you remember this diagram this is what we aimed at we said that we were going to run a two-year capital campaign to not only eliminate the debt but then we were going to once the loan was paid off we would uh, move the mountain I, I called it a war chest margaret hated that title and so it got changed to move the mountain to move and so, you know, but we said these three things. They said we either buy the building, uh, plant a church, or ministry growth. We had them in that kind of order, and we bought into that, and we said, all right, we're going to do that. The group was so excited that um, a number of you came to me and said, hey, Steve, could we start paying on that now? And I said, well, yeah, that's what Pam and I are going to do. We didn't want to tell anybody, but if you want to join us in that, that'd be great. And so uh, that... Uh, kind of took off, and then this is what happened. So in January, here's what we owed in January of 2019. It owed just over $400,000 and some change, all right? By October, when we started the actual campaign, it had already dropped to 266. Is that incredible or what? It didn't even have a campaign going, and it dropped 137,000. Then by Christmas, or first of the year, it dropped to 237. Then by April, or by Easter, basically, it dropped to 133. And then by June, it dropped to 40,000. And in June, the whole message was going to be, hey, church, it's down to, can you believe it's down to 40,000? It was miraculous. And so I was going to come and say, hey, I think we can knock this out by September. And that week, someone came in and wrote a check, and bingo, paid in full, Okay. Not only that, but somebody else gave another check, and we were suddenly in the black in the annual budget with the loan paid off. It was stunning to watch that happen. And uh, I, I, I want to bless you for your sacrificial giving in that. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for cooperating with the Lord with that. That story is a fun story to tell the other pastors. Okay? It really is. So when that happened, we suddenly had the possibility of considering James. Uh, we vetted him through the elder board and then through the staff and then through the church body. We won't go into all that. It was a great process. And each step of the way, they gained favor, he and Sarah. And James and Sarah actually joined us in December 2020 and have been on staff now for 10 months. Uh, I think we should give the Lord a hand for that. That is crazy. Crazy good. Yeah, thank you. So James's series starts next Sunday, and it's called, Who is This Man Called Jesus? And we just eagerly look forward to uh, the whole thing and to see how the Lord will move. Now, having said that, <laughs> transitions can be tricky. 
Okay? Transitions can be tricky. Many of you have been through uh, lead pastor changes in other churches, and you know they don't always go as planned. And having said that, there are some great ministry transitions in Scripture. These are ones you know, just think about it. Here's some great ones. First one, Moses and Joshua. That was an incredible handoff in a baton pass, all right? One of the greatest leaders in the Bible took his young lieutenant and went, dude, it's yours, all right? Another one, David and Solomon, all right? Although Solomon didn't end well, it was a fantastic baton pass, how it worked, and it lasted 80 years between the two of them. Another one, prophetic, Elijah and Elisha, right? Elijah's mantle got passed on to Elisha, and that prophetic ministry kept continuing. Probably the greatest one in history, John the Baptist and Jesus. We forget that John the Baptist was an absolute rock star. He, was, he had crowds of over ten to 15,000 people coming out in the middle of the desert in the Jordan to hear what he had to say. And when Jesus showed up, he pointed everybody towards Jesus. And what were his famous words? He must increase, I must decrease. Incredible transition. And then one that we're really familiar with, Paul and Timothy. We're going to talk about this one more later this morning. These transitions right here on the screen, done well, literally affected the history of the world. Incredible. But there were also some scriptural ministry transitions that didn't go so well. Take a look at some of these. Here's some poor ministry transitions in scripture. First one that came to mind, Adam and Cain. What did that one set in motion? For all of history, right? How about this one, Noah and Ham? That one also reverberates all the way down through history to this day. Samuel and King Saul, right? That has uh, huge implications for what we know in the history of Israel. Here's one, even Jesus had his bad ones, Jesus and Judas, right? Judas walked and talked and fellowshiped with Jesus, saw everything he did for three years, then betrayed him. And then Paul, you have two, Demas and John Mark. Demas never recovered. John Mark was redemptive and comes back into the picture and actually is discipled by the apostle Peter and ends up writing the gospel of Mark, which is really the gospel of Peter. Right? So that's a nice rebound. So again, the point is that pastoral transitions can be tricky. Why? Well, let's just look at one of those that we pointed out and gain some insight in this. Let's look at Moses and Joshua, because most of us are familiar with that story. All right? We start in Exodus 7, 7. It says this, Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. All right? So they are already up there in years when the story kicks into high gear. Exodus 33, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So we find out that um, two very different stages of life. Moses, already elderly, already a, a man of God, a, a man that God actually speaks to face to face like you would your friend. And Joshua, the young lieutenant, who didn't know all what was going on, but he knew he was wise enough to stay by the tent and guard the tent and, and be trustworthy and to be used in assignments while they were in the wilderness. We pick up a little hint of something in Deuteronomy. 
In Deuteronomy 3, 25 and 26, Moses is begging God. Begging. Okay? You don't get this in the text unless you read it, but it says, Please, let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that, that good hill country in Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Boom. Yikes, right? Now, why was Moses pleading to go in? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, I think he really wanted to go in and see the land that God was giving them. He had heard all about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had heard about Joseph. He had heard about all the stories that were there. I think he, uh, he, he had never been there. He wanted to go in. Secondly, I think Moses still really, really wanted to lead. I don't think he really wanted to give up the mantle of leadership. I think he knew he could take him in. And I think he kind of thought, you know, I only struck the rock twice. Is that really that big a deal? Right? And apparently in God's mind it was because he said, don't even bring this matter up again. But the third reason would be this. Is it possible that he wasn't really sure Joshua could lead the people the way he led? Yeah, Joshua's a good lieutenant. Yeah, Joshua's a, a reliable guy. And yeah, he's trustworthy. But that's very different than being the leader. I, I, I'm not sure he can do it. What would factor into that? Well, there's a couple things. Let's look at this. Here's some leadership factors in ministry transition that we're talking about with Joshua and Moses. First of all, uh, there are generational differences. Uh, first of all, age difference, right? So when you're looking at Moses, Moses is 120 when they're about to go in the promised land. Joshua is somewhere around 80, right? So there's an age difference there. Uh, this group that they were leading into the promised land was a different group than they led into the wilderness. So it wasn't even the same group. Remember, this entire group that came out of Egypt had all died off. So this was a complete new generation of people that they had to work with. Uh, there was an experience difference. Moses was the long-term successful leader. Joshua was the lieutenant. God spoke directly to Moses. He wouldn't do that with Joshua until they crossed the Jordan River. And so it was significant in terms of the way that it was communicated. Uh, continued, there was a leadership style difference. Moses was a prophetic leader. Joshua was a military leader. So they had different leadership styles. You, you pick that up really clearly. If you read Moses' life and you read the book of Joshua, you, you catch the difference in the flavors very quickly. Uh, the congregation, one of the things that's hard is that as Moses and Joshua are doing this, the congregation is deeply impacted by this transition. Moses had led them for 80 years. They didn't know any other leader but Moses. When he died, they mourned for him for 30 days, wept and cried and bawled. And some of that is what now? Who can replace Moses? Israel's never gotten over Moses. Okay? How would you like to be Joshua trying to step into those shoes? Joshua was untested in the leader role. He hadn't taken them across the river yet. So in a sense, he was unproven. And yet he was God's appointed leader. God said specifically to Moses, bring Joshua up and transfer the mantle from you to him in the sight of the people so that they can see he is the appointed leader that I've picked. 
So there was a, a transition there. Likewise, for us, there will be similar challenges and hurdles as we transition. Okay, here's some challenges that we'll face. There is an age difference. I am 65. James just crawled into 42. Okay? That's a completely different generation in terms of our country. It's a completely different thought pattern. Um, I'm old school. James is current school. All right? Uh, there's a cultural difference. I have spent 41 years in the Northwest in church ministry. James has spent over 20 years in ministry around the world. I speak fluent Wisconsinese. James, due to cultural deprivation, does not. You're going to have to get used to a whole new lingo. Okay? Yeah, sure, you bet you guys is going out the window. Okay? There's a leadership difference. I come from a pastoral perspective. James comes from a missional perspective. I am more of a shepherd. James is more of a leader. Right? There's going to be transitions in that that we have to adjust to. Having said all that, our transition is going really well. And part of that is because James and I were friends before we started. Uh, again, why are transitions so tricky? Well, there's a number of moving parts that contribute to this. See, this doesn't make sense to you as you're sitting out there or watching online today. Uh, why are transitions so tricky? First of all, transitions are tricky because change is hard. That, nobody wants to go through change. We like change if we get to do it. Us doing change is good. Change done to us is bad. Uh, we've actually had some people who've left Northview said, well, your run's over, the new guy's coming in, so we're going. What are they saying? We're going to institute change because we don't like change being done to us. Right? Change is hard. It's, it's difficult. Um, the emphasis might not be on the same syllable. He may be saying the same thing, but it may not quite sound like the, that. That isn't the way Steve would say it. Thank God. Okay? Probably saying it in ways you can actually understand instead of having to interpret my words backwards and go, oh yeah, we know what he means. All right? Uh, the, here's an interesting one. The IOUs go out the window. What are IOUs? Over a period of time, any, any leader builds IOUs up in the group. I do things for you. You do things for me. There's, there's, right? there's a credit system that kind of hangs in the balance. And, and when I step out of that role, all those IOUs go out the window. James doesn't get those IOUs. Okay? They were built up as the Lord used me in this ministry with you. And as I invested in you, I, those all go out the window when we transition. And so that's a, that's a fascinating thing of what happens to a group when that happens. Uh, number four, why transitions are tricky, is trust has to be earned. James has worked hard over the last 10 months to earn your trust. He has worked hard to meet with you. Uh, he has gone out of his way to call you. He has gone out of his way to have lunch with you or to sit down or to meet with you in your homes, and I hope you appreciate that. He has worked his tail off to earn trust with you, and that is commendable. But trust has to be earned. And that's why we should be praying for this fall series because it's a really important step for us, okay? And number five, here's the biggest one, egos and emotions get in the way, okay? Egos and emotions, mostly there I'm talking about myself. I have watched a lot of head guys try to transition and they get to a certain place and they hit what I call a choke point 
where they can talk really graciously and they can talk really eloquently and lay out the plan and they do really well till it actually hits the moment when they have to transition. And then they think, I got gas in the tank. I can do this for a few more years. I can, I'm not so sure I want this to happen right now. That is just lunacy, all right? As men, guys, you will relate to this really well. As men, we say our egos aren't tied to our job or in this case, ministry. We all know that's a lie. Okay? Just have a guy get fired from his job. What happens to him? He falls apart. Why? Because his identity is tied to his work. Okay? And pastors are no different. Pastors can develop a bad case of what I call pastoritis. Hey, have you ever heard of that? Okay? Pastoritis. And here's how it sounds like. My church, my ministry, my pulpit. You ever hear a pastor say, I'm very careful who I let in my pulpit. And the truth is, it was never mine to start with. It's Jesus' church, it's Jesus' ministry, and it's Jesus' pulpit, and Jesus can put in that pulpit anyone he darn well chooses. And we have to be ready for that, and the person who has to be best with that is mine. It was never mine. It has always been Jesus's. But still, it's a difficult transition. Uh, Dr. Gary Smith, uh, a book that James gave us uh, to read on pastoral transition, states why it's so hard to transition well. He says, transition for the lead or senior pastor is like watching your wife date someone else while you're still alive. Think about that once. There's some brilliance to that, right? Transition is like watching your wife date someone else while you're still alive. There's a very important ministry transition that takes place in the New Testament that's often overlooked. And I'd like to close with this this morning. It it provides a great paradigm for us here at Norfolk as we continue the transition process. The transition we're talking about involves the church at Ephesus. You're familiar with Ephesus, the Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. Many have read it. The history behind it. The church in Ephesus was founded by Paul. He found 12 men who believed in Jesus but had not yet been, uh, had not experienced the Holy Spirit, and so he showed them the fuller way of grace, and they came to faith in Christ, and they, they just grew in grace, and a church started there. And uh, Paul spends the next three years, A.D. 53 to A.D. 56, pastoring the church there. After he leaves, he appoints Timothy as the next lead pastor. And here are some of the things he says to Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1, he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. In other words, hold the line. Hold the line. You know what I was doing. You know what I put in charge. Hold that line. Don't go soft on that. Secondly, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, and that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. In other words, not only do you need to hold that line, but Timothy, you need to stay firm. You need to stay solid. You need to stay steadfast. In 1 Timothy 4, 6, he says this, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. In other words, model well. Model well, Timothy. And then he says this, Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. 
In other words, Timothy, don't be intimidated that you're the new guy. Don't be intimidated that you're the young guy. Set an example. Show them what it's like. You've learned from me. You know how to do this. Go. Run. Now, why would Paul say these things to Timothy? Well, for the simple fact that Timothy wasn't Paul. Can't you hear some of them just say, well, that's not the way Paul would say it, right? Why should we follow you? You're not an apostle, right? They were used to having big guns as their lead pastors. Timothy wasn't an apostle. Plus, there was another factor that it could have proved to have been tremendously intimidating for Timothy. And this is one that's not often considered. But if Paul wasn't intimidating enough, and I, I, I just assume Paul was pretty intimidating, right? If you got into a conversation with him, uh, I imagine he was like Jan heading a right, so Steve, how's your walk with God? <laughs> you know, I don't know, freaking me out, all right? But if Paul weren't intimidating in and of himself, there's another person who also became a bishop in the church of Ephesus. And who would that be? Why, none other than the apostle John himself. Wow, talk about big hitter. John was at Ephesus, then he was banished to the island of Patmos, wrote a little book while he was on that rock. Then after eight years, he returned to Ephesus and was bishop again. Can you see why Paul said, don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness? Timothy could have been an easy target for the naysayers. Uh, we don't need to follow your advice. We'll go ask John. Right? We'll just end run you. We'll go around. Okay? And that could happen here. James, we don't need to ask you. We'll go ask Steve. And you know what you, I'll do if you do that? Good, go ask James. Okay? He's the head pastor. You should ask him. Right? But just think about John being in your church, the Apostle John, would that be intimidating? That would be intimidating, okay? But there's no record of that. It seems that Timothy did an outstanding job of handling the baton passed from Paul to him, and it seems that Paul did an excellent job of handing the baton to Timothy and trusting him to carry out the assignment. So how about us? What about Norfolk? How's it going to go? How will we handle our transition well, my great hope is this. My great hope is that myself, James, the board, the staff, us as a congregation will do it well and that we will honor the Lord Jesus, that we will take this as from the Lord and that the timing is as from the Lord. To do that, there's a couple things here that I think are important, okay? First of all, what this isn't. There's a number of things here that this isn't, this transition. Here's, here's a couple things. First of all, James is not auditioning. Right? We could get in the audition mode. Well, we'll put him up, see how he does, and then we'll rate him. Like, this is not Dancing with the Stars, right? Where Bruno says, James, such passion, such, oh, such authority in Scripture. Oh, I rate you with a two, no, eight. Okay? That is not what we're doing, people. This is not The Bachelor. James, will you accept this rose? This is not Survivor. James, we give you this immunity token so you can't be voted off the island. Okay? That is not what this is. Okay, what is this? Here's what it is. This is and has been a thoughtful, deliberate process where we've sought out God's will for our future as a church. Number two, we have used our team and the gifts that God has given us among the team. And this body, to vet James and to validate the call to office, we've already gone through all that. We've done all that. 
Okay? Number three, we've chosen a longer process so that relationally James could settle in. They needed time, he and Sarah. They got uprooted and tossed upside down and didn't know which way they were looking when they got here. All right? That was uh, quite an upheaval, right, Sarah? I won't look at James because they say, no, it was fine. Look at Sarah. Yeah, that was okay. Sarah will tell you the truth on that, right? So they, they needed time. James says, you know, I need time. I've not been in America for 20 years. I got to relearn America. And, and so we settled that they could settle in. Also, we chose a longer process because we know that trust has to be earned, as we said. It, it can't be demanded. We can't demand that trust be given to James. We know it has to be earned. So we wanted to give enough time that that could be in place and it didn't have to go from zero to 100 all in one weekend. All right. Number five, this is a step of faith. This is as big a step of faith as any step of faith Northview has ever had to take, including being planted, including calling me, including moving to Archbishop Murphy, including to go into this building, including to pay off the loan, just name it. This is just another one in those lines of steps of faith that Jesus has, has led us in as a church. Those make sense to you? As I was thinking through all this, it reminded me of when I came to Northview. And uh, you as a church have given me and my family several beautiful gifts that I would like to ask you to give to James and Sarah as well. Okay, here, here were the beautiful gifts you gave. First of all, you embraced me on a leadership level, which was really quite a thing because at the time when I came, I was kind of upside down emotionally and uh, I, I had no real idea what God was calling me to, but you didn't either. And so you took me in and we've had a wonderful dance for the last 17 years together. But you gave that gift. You warmly embraced and loved my family. One of the great things about this church is there's no expectation of the pastor's family. They didn't have to do anything. And as a result, they did everything, right? Because you were their friends and they loved hanging out with you and you took them in and we grew up together and our kids grew up together and uh, they've just been a part of the fabric here. Uh, It's just been a wonderful thing. Number three, you let me know you had my back numerous, numerous times. Many have come, Steve. Steve, we're with you. Stay strong. We've got your back. You're doing good. Hang in there. And you've done that all over the years. And it's been incredibly encouraging. Uh, you teamed with me as servant leaders. We, we took on big things together. We did a lot of crazy faith stuff. And we saw the Lord do enormous things together. And it was fantastic. And I think the most important one as we submitted to each other and to Christ and just saw the Lord do great things, right? We really saw his leadership in our church life. And I think we value that greatly. It's why people stay here. It's why, because there's a sense of his presence. There's a sense of his hand on this ministry, not my hand on this ministry. And we hope to continue that with James. In other words, you bless my leadership with the gift of followership. That's what I'm trying to say. You have been absolutely great group to shepherd. Now, having said that, I'm not dying or going away anywhere, all right? Hear me clearly. Uh, But I do want you to know we're transitioning. I had three people at the family meal come and go, hey, we heard you're going to retire. And I went, you just heard that now? (laughs) Like, we've been talking about that for two years, right? So, yes, we are transitioning. But you've been a great group to shepherd. Uh, you have been a delight to pastor. And what I'm asking this morning is this. What I'm asking is that we would grant the same gifts to James that you gave to me. That we would grant him and Sarah and their family the same gifts 
that of love and followership and, and backing that you gave to me. As we go into the series this fall, let's have his back. Okay? Let's be an encouragement to him. Let's be available for him and let's honor the Lord by honoring the new shepherd that he's brought us. Does that make sense, Norfew? All right, then let's commit it to prayer. Father in heaven, we commit this message, the theme of it, the tone of it, the idea of it to you. We will need your help. Lord, we, we need you to sequence things. We need you to roll things out. There will be, uh, we've got a year and a half in this process, Lord. We love the last 10 months. We're seeking you to play this out in a way that will be a delight, that people will be excited, that people will talk about what's going on in their church, that what's going on at Norfolk. Look at what the Lord's doing. Lord, we look forward to this series this fall. It's the first chance of James to really own a whole section. Lord, and we pray your favor on him. We pray your wisdom on him. We pray your voice in him. And we seek you for that. We seek you for what your future for this church is. We ask for your help and we ask that you would lead us well and that we'd cooperate well. Lord, we pray that it would be honoring to you and we give that to you a great hope. Pray this in your name. Amen.